So over the past several weeks, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and today we come to the very last sermon in the series. So congratulations to those who heard every sermon. Uh, Please treat yourself with a special chocolate after lunch today. (laughs) I do trust that we've learned a lot, but more importantly, that we've also prayed a lot, that our looking at the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, has encouraged us to use it more often. So as we begin, I invite you to turn with me one last time to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read verses 9 through 13. Our Lord Jesus says to us, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. We come today to the final phrase of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some of you may have realized that actually these words aren't in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. If you're using the King James Version of the Bible, they are there in the main text. Uh, If you've got an NIV, you'll find these words in the footnote. And if you're using a more modern translation of the Bible, they may not be there at all. What is going on here? Well, as you may know, unlike other ancient documents like the American Declaration of Independence or perhaps the prison letters of Nelson Mandela, with the Bible we don't have any of the original documents. Uh, We don't have the original of the book of Genesis or Paul's original letter to the Thessalonians. What we do have are a number of copies of copies, manuscripts of these documents. And most of these uh, manuscripts date from the 2nd century AD all the way through to the Middle Ages. And some of these manuscripts do have the words included, and some don't. But as you'll see in the NIV footnote, it's the later manuscripts that include these words and not the earliest manuscripts. And normally in the science that we call textual criticism, it's the earliest manuscripts that are felt to be closest to the originals. Um, The phrase that we're looking at today seems to be a later edition. It's very likely then that Jesus didn't actually speak these words as part of his model prayer. His prayer would simply have included those three requests that we make to God about God and then the three requests that we make to God about ourselves. But the early disciples were Jewish, and it would have been unthinkable for them to pray a prayer without a doxology, without praise to God. And so we know that from the earliest times, the early church began to speak these words as part of the Lord's Prayer. And so they've entered our reading of it and our singing of the Lord's Prayer as well. You can't imagine singing the Lord's Prayer without this phrase. Now, before you get too concerned and wonder, should we really include these words in the Lord's Prayer, it's important to see that the early church didn't just make up their own doxology. They looked to the scriptures themselves to find words with which to praise God. 
And the phrase that we've looked at bears a strong resemblance to 1 Chronicles 29, King David's magnificent prayer of praise at the dedication of the temple building materials. There David says, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So even if this phrase wasn't in the original Lord's Prayer, it's a fitting way in which to end the prayer. And, it, and it's an important way in which to end our prayer too. We've just spent time in prayer uh, making requests for ourselves, give us, forgive us, lead us. And maybe if we ended the prayer there, we'd get stuck in our own needs and our own troubles. And so it's important for us to bring the prayer back to where we began with the focus back on God. There are three phrases with which we end our prayer. Uh, Each of these could be an entire sermon or sermon series on their own. So just a few reminders to us as we bring to a close our series on this prayer. In closing this prayer, we remind ourselves of three important things. Firstly, we remind ourselves, yours, Lord, is the kingdom forever. A couple of things here. Number one, unlike all earthly kingdoms, God's kingdom is eternal. The psalmist prays in Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. Some of you will have been watching the coronation of King Charles III yesterday. And what a contrast then to what we're we're looking at this morning. I must be honest, I smiled when on a couple of occasions they said, May the king live forever. I thought, well, that's very unlikely at, at his age. We remind ourselves in this prayer that all earthly kingdoms and ideologies and theologies will ultimately bow before God. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Vladimir Putin will bow. Cyril Ramaphosa will bow. Donald Trump will bow. King Charles and Queen Camilla will lay their magnificent crowns at the feet of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That sounds like great news, but there's a challenge for us, for me this morning. The fact of the matter is, as we saw a few weeks ago, that I have a kingdom too, and so do you. My kingdom is often ruled by the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. My plans, my ambitions, my goals, my desires for the day. And so day by day, at the beginning of the day, I need to remember Jesus' words to me. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. 
And as I go through the day, I have to pause and ask myself, what will build for God's kingdom today? Well, linked to that, we might have to ask, what is this kingdom of God? Well, it's where God rules, and God seeks to rule over people's lives, their hearts. God's kingdom is made up of people. Uh, you will know that as human beings, uh, we are rebels against God, but God has reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, Jesus. And slowly and surely, as we heard a moment ago, God's kingdom is growing one life at a time as men and women and young people uh, turn to him. It's actually an invisible kingdom. God's kingdom is not identical to the church. Some people who are in the church are not in the kingdom, and some people who aren't in the church are in the kingdom. It's a kingdom of lives surrendered to Jesus, a great kingdom from, of people from every nation, tribe, culture, and tongue whose true number is known to God alone. It's a kingdom of peculiar people in that as a Christian community, we're supposed to represent an alternative society. Our community is supposed to be different from the world around us. We're supposed to be a community that acts differently towards one another and to those outside, that speaks differently, that thinks differently to the society around us. And then thirdly, God's kingdom is also extended through us, through you and me. God invites us to be involved in this wonderful task of extending his kingdom. God could use angels to do this. He could and does send dreams and perform miracles, but he also uses us. And in two primary ways. Firstly, he invites us to declare the good news of the kingdom, that there is a king who loves us and has sent his son to die for us, to reconcile us to himself, and that we should receive his forgiveness and turn our lives over to him. We get to declare that with our words. And secondly, we extend the kingdom by living out the values of the kingdom in an alien world, by seeing ourselves primarily as citizens of heaven and acting out the laws and norms and values of that kingdom. In one of his books, the American pastor John Ortberg describes what building God's kingdom looks like. He says, every time you are in conflict with someone and want to hurt them, gossip about them or avoid them, but instead go to them and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. The kingdom is breaking into this world. Every time you have a chunk of money and decide to give sacrificially to somebody who is hungry or homeless or poor, the kingdom is breaking into this world. Anytime someone has an addiction and wants to partner with God so much that they're willing to stop hiding, acknowledge the truth and get help from a loving community, the kingdom is breaking into the world. Every time a workaholic parent decides to stop idolizing their job, uh, rearranges their life to begin to love and care for the little children entrusted to them, the kingdom is breaking into the world. Every time you love, Every time you include someone who is lonely instead of excluding them. Every time you encourage someone who is defeated. Every time you challenge someone who is wandering off the path. Every time you serve the under-resourced. It's a sign that the kingdom is once more breaking into the world. 
What a great opportunity we have in this week that lies ahead of us. Secondly, as we end our prayer to God, we remind ourselves that yours is the power forever. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. It's interesting that both the Old and the New Testament refer to God as the Almighty. Uh, the Greek word that is used is pantokratos. Uh, kratos refers to raw strength, force, power, might. And pantos means all. So God is the all-powerful one. This means that God can do whatever he pleases and that nothing, nothing can stop him from accomplishing his purposes. In Daniel chapter 4, we read, He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold him back. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In Isaiah 46, God says, My purpose will stand, and I will do all I please. The omnipotence of God also means that God's power is superior to any and every other power. In Genesis 18 and Jeremiah 32, the rhetorical question is asked, Is anything too hard for the Lord? In fact, Jeremiah declares in chapter 32, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. Some of you may have been uh, watching some of the images that are coming to us from the James Webb Telescope. Uh, the James Webb being the updated version of the aging Hubble Telescope. Uh, the scientists pointed the telescope at a patch of space and they were astounded at the images that came back. You know, instead of just seeing hundreds of stars as we used to see, they saw hundreds of galaxies. Uh, here's just one of the pictures. Uh, the spiky lights are stars in our own galaxy, but all of the other lights that you can see are galaxies. Now you might say, well, yes, that's a pretty impressive image of the night sky, but actually that's not the night sky. It's just a portion. How big a portion? Well, if you took a grain of sand and you held it at arm's length at the sky, this image represents just that tiny little patch of the sky. In other words, multiply this image millions of times and that is what lies around us in the universe. Trillions of galaxies all around us, each containing billions of stars. And in Isaiah chapter 40, God asks, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. 
What is our response to such a God as this? Well, firstly, reverence. Do you think that a God like this needs my advice? Do you think that he needs me to tell him how to run my life or to run the church? No. A proper response to God's omnipotence is just reverent awe. In the little book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk says this in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In our prayers this week, it's appropriate at some point as we're walking along and talking with God just to be quiet, just to listen to him, just to acknowledge that he is the almighty but secondly, in thinking about God as the Lord Almighty, the word refuge comes to mind too. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If God truly is Almighty, which he is, and I am his, which I am, then I can rest in him and trust in him alone, no matter what. In 1958, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book about the death of her husband, Jim Elliot, and four other missionaries who were killed by Alka Indians with whom they were trying to share the gospel. The subtitle to the book was the life and testimony of Jim Elliot. But the main title of the book was The Shadow of the Almighty. It wasn't a mistake. Elizabeth Elliot was utterly convinced that even though her husband had been killed, that the refuge of the people of God is not a refuge from suffering and death, but a refuge from final and ultimate death. And even if we do get sick, even if those we love die, even if we die, we are safe in the shadow of Almighty God. Pastor John Piper says that the omnipotence of God means eternal, unshakable refuge in the everlasting glory of God, no matter what happens on this earth. And that confidence is the power of radical obedience to the call of God. Is there anything more freeing, more thrilling, or more strengthening than the truth that God Almighty is your refuge all day, every day, in all the ordinary and extraordinary experiences of your life? Nothing but what he ordains for your good befalls you, and afterward he will receive you into glory. And then thirdly, as we close our prayer, we remind ourselves, yours is the glory forever. Remember how in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of God seated on a throne, high and exalted, and above him are these angelic beings, these seraphim, who continually call to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Psalmist prays in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And we do indeed see God's glory here on earth. 
Uh, here in the Western Cape, we see it every single day. We see His glory. In astronomy, we see God's glory even above the earth. But we also see God's glory in the person of our Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There we see God's glory. And the supreme place in which we see the glory of God displayed is Christ on the cross. So interesting to see that throughout John's gospel, John speaks about the death of Jesus on the cross as his glorification. John chapter 12, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, the God who is almighty loves me and has given himself for me. Now, there's a beautiful hymn by Matt Boswell that speaks about the glory of God. And in, first, in the first verse, he speaks about the glory of God in creation. He says, Oh, lift your eyes to heaven, see the Holy One eternal. Behold the Lord of majesty exalted in his temple. As symphonies of angels praise, now strain to sound his glory. Come worship, fall before his grace, the King in all his beauty. And then the second verse goes like this. Now see the king who wears a crown, one made of shame and splinters, the sacrifice for ruined man, the substitute for sinners. As earth is stained with royal blood and quakes with love and fury, he breathes his last and bows his head, the king in all his beauty. Again then, God, who is almighty, loves me and has given himself for me. And again then, all I can do is respond in reverence and I take refuge in God who alone is glorious. The problem is, of course, that I too have not just a kingdom of my own, but glory of my own. And I often seek glory for myself we like to be known. We like to be appreciated. It's a temp temptation that befalls all of us, particularly those who are involved in paid Christian service. It's nice when people appreciate our sermons or compliment us on our listening skills or seek out our advice. But it's important that we consistently point people beyond ourselves to the one who alone has the glory. Think, for example, of John the Baptist, a really great preacher doing amazing work out in the Judean desert. And one of his disciples comes to him and says, uh, remember that person that you baptized a few months ago? Well, he's now baptizing people and everyone is going after him. And John's reply is so humble and instructive to us. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Uh, we knew a missionary couple uh, who were leaving South Africa after years of service 
And uh, the lady missionary in particular was, was battling a little bit. She was sad at having to leave a community that she knew and loved. She was questioning what kind of an impact all her years of service had made on these people. And as she was sitting, having her quiet time, feeling a bit sad, she said to God, you know, Lord, it's so sad. Eventually these people are going to forget me. And she felt God saying to her, yes, but they won't forget me. <laughs> Yours is the glory forever. And so three important phrases that reorientate our lives and remind us of how things really are today. Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so whatever you may be going through today, whatever you may face in this week that lies ahead, you can be assured that our glorious king is almighty and we can rest in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this magnificent prayer of David, a prayer that's been prayed by millions of believers down through the centuries, a prayer that we take up on our lips as we begin this new week. We just pause in your presence, almighty God, and declare, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. And we can trust you, and we can go through this week we can go through death itself and we will be with the Lord forever. Thank you that we are completely safe in you. And so help us in this week to keep on turning to you and trusting in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.